Welcome to Evolved Radio, where we explore the evolution of business and technology. So if you're in technology or business, you've probably heard the term big data. What does big data even mean anyway? Today I'm joined by Alistair Wilcock to talk about data science. We uncover the science of data analytics and how data is unlocking market-changing insights at all levels of business. This is the real guts, the real underbelly of what big data is actually leveraged for in business. Even if you're a small business trying to understand social media's impact on your marketing efforts or you're a large enterprise organization trying to understand client behavior, data can be an incredibly powerful tool. And today, Alistair and I talk about the growing industry of data science and how businesses are digging through this mountain of data to find relevant insights that could give them an advantage in the market. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. Also, be sure to check out the webpage, evolvedmgmt.com slash podcast for show notes, links to my guests, and to check out previous episodes. Now let's get started. Joining me on the podcast today, I have Alistair Wilcock, and Alistair is a principal consultant at Credera, as well as founder and business partner at Cabo Global. Thanks for coming on, Alistair. Thanks so much, Todd. Appreciate uh, joining you today. So Alistair and I have a long history, known each other and worked in the past. Uh, definitely one of the smarter characters I've worked with. Um, amazing sales executive, amazing uh, executive business uh, executive as well. And uh, Alistair, you and I have had a shared passion for data and analytics uh, through throughout the years. And uh, I first recognized sort of your insight in this when you were building a data analytics and trading platform uh, under Trafalgar. Um, do you want to give us a, a little sense of kind of your technical history and your business history and uh, what's led you to where you are currently in your career? Yeah, absolutely, Todd. Uh, you know, what you referenced there on the uh, trading platform, you know, today doesn't seem as revolutionary, but when we first stepped into that, that was in 2008. And uh, our basis thesis was this, could we build an, a black box that could do intraday trading uh, on the live markets of NYC and S&P and everything else um, in a single click technology. And we did. We went about, we endeavored, and we built that black box um, and traded live for the next uh, four years using those programs. And it was an algorithmic trading model um, that uh, we built out in the incredible piece of technology that proved both rewarding and technically challenging as those things do. Uh, we underestimated some data sets and did well on others. Um, and uh, yeah, we moved several million dollars worth of capital over those, those four uh, years on the Trafalgar model. Um, outside of that, then we uh, endeavored and took that into largely into uh, the general data space. And that was uh, with the parlay into what is uh, Credero, the firm that I'm at now. And uh, we've used that very successfully to drive our initiatives with companies like Starbucks and Brinker and other firms like that, um, where we've really taken a digital strategy and tied in their backend data delivery and e-commerce platforms and really customer information and now extrapolated that into revenue producing models. And, uh, and we're quite excited about where that can go. And then on the Kaboo side, we bring in the data science capability, which is a super hot component in the market that I think everybody's beginning to wrap their heads around as we continue to hear what are effectively right now industry buzzwords. 
Yeah, and that's a, a one of the things that we definitely wanted to touch on is the the term big data gets thrown around a ton. And even as we were chatting before we started recording, big data doesn't really mean anything. It's such an overused marketing term that unfortunately the capabilities and what that, that future technology will offer often get lost in the noise of that. You suggested you like the term data science better. Can you explain to us why that makes a, a better terminology for what you're trying to do in the market? Yeah, absolutely. Because the to me, you know, big data, it's it's just a different segment um, that supports the greater construct of data science. And what I mean by that is most people the big data strategies are really leave, leveraging BI analyst work, a lot of reporting, dashboarding, optimization type things. They're doing data warehouses, all of which are essential underpinnings to a data science strategy for a company. However, what with just putting in a data lake or a data warehouse and doing reporting and dashboarding, it, it can give you uh, information, but it doesn't correlate necessarily to a business outcome. And that is why I think when you think of where big data is going, you could break it into six primary categories of you know, customer insights, pro, uh, the product components, uh, some efficiency, digital marketing, operational excellence, or your products and services that you can bring to market. And, and when you think of bringing things to market, you don't typically think of data warehouses. So iterating from just the conversation of having a big data strategy to a data science strategy is an essential pivot for companies as they think of how to create revenue, retain customers, or, or bring new things to market. And I think there's some phenomenal examples of that, um, of recent history, and even back into the 1990s. So you hit on something that I, I talk a lot about when I'm working with clients. I'm a huge fan of dashboarding and data analytics in general, and what insights that can give you to the business. But what I often warn people against is that those dashboards and those reports they won't give you any answers. They can often give you great questions to continue to ask, but people often think that they're going to be able to have some magical insight or that the data is going to uh, point blank tell them something that they didn't know. And quite often that isn't the case. It's more of a, I have a theory. I want to test some data, do some review and some analysis. Now, what does the data tell me? And therefore, what should I continue to ask? Does that sound similar to your approach? It does. Simply stated for me, Todd, the, you know, IT uh, works around, pivots around how to optimize or present data back to, say, an executive team or marketing teams or anybody else to make a decision, um, whereas data science is more akin to a scientific process, right? You want to start with a hypothesis, and you want to prove that right or wrong. Just like we did at Trafalgar back in the day, our hypothesis was, could we build a system that would do intraday trading in a single-click technology? because we knew that was monetizable and we knew that would be a powerful tool set for the market. So it's really thinking outside the box and it is um, coming out with your hypotheses and then proving those right or wrong and knowing that a wrong proof point is as powerful as proving something correctly in some cases. You know, I, I actually really think this is, I would say it's, this is IT's money ball moment to use the famous Oakland and A's analogy that got turned into the movie, right? With Brad Pitt. You know, here you have fundamentally the ability to now to go um, take new information sources, 
and collect them and acquire them with and combine them with external sources and solve business issues in, in completely radically new ways that haven't been thought of before. And I think it's that radicalization of it that is so key. So obviously some some metrics that and uh, analytic points that people would be traditionally familiar with are you know revenue targets or customer acquisition uh, use numbers uh, number of uh, key customers in region those types of kind of very blank or what, what I would call boring numbers uh, mm-hmm. what are some of the numbers that you feel uh, maybe scratched deeper on the surface things that you're starting to piece together and potentially some use cases and how that that deeper information is being leveraged for insights in uh, both small to medium business, but well as enterprise? Yeah, I think, uh, good question. I think, well, let's just look at a couple of use cases, right? And they don't even need to be modern use cases to show you how prolific this can be. You know, in the 1990s, there was a company that uh, in, achieved incredible success by untapping uh, the hyperlinks in encoded web pages. And, you know, many of us use that company today, and that was Google back in the 90s. Or you take another little startup from back then, um, where, which became one of the most prominent lucrative data science projects in history. And the rumor of this firm was that it had 15 to 20% of the retail businesses due to a simple product recommendation engine. And that company is Amazon. Or you take UPS and their on-road integrated optimization navigation uh, initiative called Orion, and they revamped revamped their entire route optimization software all through connecting uh, data sources that were previously unconnected. And now they have dynamic routing schedules that save millions and millions of dollars per year and and help with the uh, uh, customer service. Those are things from the 1990s. And I think it's important context because everybody hears these, these buzzwords and thinks, oh, well, who's really using this yet? Well, the people who are using this now are some of the biggest companies in the world because they got ahead of the curve. And I think what, what the difference is, is back then it was, it was fundamentally revolutionary. Um, today, it's, it's a requirement for survival in the enterprise and, and arguably mid-market component. Um, so you really, you, you can't shy away from this anymore. You have to figure out how to connect both the structured and unstructured data sets that you have within your four walls, within your data centers. And then how are you using external data sources to help with that? And we can go through, if you like, I think there's some, you know, some just excellent use categories that are broken into those components of insights, um, process efficiency, digital products, operations, marketing, and so forth. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. Like, let's just sort of imagine, and maybe this exposes a bit of your process as well and how you would approach this. But do you need a customer that has a particular problem or a question at hand? Or if not, then what would you kind of uh, approach them with on data discovery and, and potential points of interest to start to collect some of this info? I, I think every customer should be having hypothesis-based conversations around how they could use data broken into one of those subcategories I just mentioned. So whether it be insights into their customer database or uh, some form of process efficiency, bringing new digital products or services to market or operational excellence or some form of marketing, um, you know, those are just great m- macro categories to then ideate around. And the, and the CMO 
as combined with the CIOs should be ideating on those things. And we can kind of pick into those a little bit, take customer insights as an example. You know, look at how Toyota applies machine learning. Um, they go ahead and they have inter they are using multiple data sets on their customers um, in terms of the interactions for their real-time social media monitoring. And they're, as a result of that, personalizing the customer experience. So when you walk in and are buying the next Toyota Tundra, it isn't just Todd randomly walking off the street. Once they know who you are, they're correlating with your interactions to the website. They're, they're watching and monitoring then your social media activity and beginning to pivot their marketing strategy around making your experience a better experience with them. And that's, that's phenomenal. And, and this information is so readily available. So I, I would say just maybe, you know, think of customer insights. It's not revolutionary. Do you have access to um, all your customer information from your stores, from your web, from your phone, from your catalogs? What are you doing with that, that information data set? On the web logs, every single customer click online yields a piece of intelligence to you. What are you doing with that data source? The account information is very insightful. The information that is shared by the third parties, including the credit assessors and all of those things, that's massively important. Wearable devices these days, right? Do you have an app strategy that ties to a wearable device? So you can start to pull in that information from your target consumers, Fitbits, the Apple Watches of the world, right? You don't need to invent the technology. You just need to layer your component into that and then consume the data coming back out. And then just third-party purchased information. I think there's a, there's a fantastic amount of that from a customer's insight standpoint. And, and Toyota, as that example, is doing that. And that's an easy thing um, that I think we will go, well, okay, well, maybe some of that crosses the line in terms of how far we want to draw insights from it. But when done artfully, done creatively and done at the, to improve your experience. Most consumers readily share that information and, uh, and it, it can be a strong differentiator in buying uh, differences to why you'd buy a Toyota Tundra versus a Ford F-150. I find uh, this really fascinating that the, the different data points uh, often act as, as noise. And I think you, you've used a term that I think kind of helps to drill down a little further in artfully approaching it, as I think that marriage of the data science plus sort of the art and the finesse around knowing exactly what data within that that lake uh, is actually going to be relevant and will gain you some insights that that to me uh, feels like the expertise that that is required for these types of engagements in uh, we know what has worked we know where to look uh, and therefore we can we can extrapolate that data and give some meaningful information about it versus just you know well we have this these you know 14 terabytes of customer data but we're not exactly sure what it it tells us that to me is the distinction between the the big data just being that that pool of information and data science being able to actually carve it up and understand it in a meaningful way? I I think you're absolutely right, Todd. And and you think from just a traditional big data strategy, and most companies have some form of strategy around that now. It's given great affordability to store and process large volumes of unstructured, semi-structured, and structured data, um, and potentially even together, depending on how that's that's set up. Um, but you have to remember the data is, is no longer static and it arrives, it changes and it can rem remain immutable. It can be written once and never changed, for example, in, in data microservices. So how do you deal with these, 
the volume of potential change or the volume of data of what you're doing and then how do you ask questions around that. And certainly when we built the trading platforms, you know, more data isn't always make you smarter, right? It's the questions and finding and sourcing the answers around that. So starting with, again, strong hypothesis, prove it through, start with reasonable size data sets, understand are you using your internal corporate big structured data um, that will give you one series of answers. Unstructured could give you another series of answers. So then you need to be able to combine those two. And often you need some form of custom algorithm to do that, write your algorithm. And then from there, you can begin to prove out the insights between all of those variable changing data sets. And that may be static um, against, say, a, a bunch of customer data. It may be live interaction based upon business process efficiency that you're trying to drive. Now, we've hit on a bunch of places where data can be incredibly helpful. In your travels, have you ever come across any areas where data is not helpful or causes more confusion than it is worth? Any areas that you tend to avoid, maybe? I, You know, I think, um, I, I suppose philosophically, I'm, I'm, I don't think there are too many places where it is, uh, it can't be used. I think there are, there's, it's such a greenfield opportunity. I do, however, and, and this is based off a little bit of personal experience from last year, that I think there's the propensity for data to be used without people having knowledge of its use, and that has the potential to be scary. And And I'll pick on a hot topic that is, unfortunately, in the nightly news cycle every single time right now. You know, I have firsthand knowledge from the U.S. elections last year and how uh, we leverage data uh, by both political parties to create better sentiment analysis and voter analysis and voter opinions um, and, and shifting of those opinions. And I'm okay with that from the standpoint of, you know, this is what every party does. It's a competitive thing that they're going through in terms of acquiring voters. voters. But when people aren't aware of the information bias that is being created by technology and they don't know how to understand that, that uh, that's that's a, a questionable abuse of power or information to an extent, and and here's the reality of what happened in last year's election cycle. Both parties, so we can't blame one or the other, um, have very advanced data science strategies and teams in 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 house. For those who don't know, it's one of the biggest expense items that they now contract out through multiple third parties um, in the U.S. election cycle. And you're not trying to just shore up your base. Sure, you want the basics of knowing well, where Todd lives and the party and your political likes and dislikes. But you're really looking for that 3 to 4% of voters that, you can, that will swing an election. It's not the people that are diehard one way or another in, ter- part, in terms of party affiliation. It's the swing voters in the middle, middle that will win or lose you an election. And, uh, and, and we went about and, and helped strategize on some of this work as did several other firms, in terms of applying basic premises of psychology and then creating scenarios using social uh, online tool sets and profiles and techniques to create agreeable content with a constituent base and then stressing that constituent with some content that they wouldn't necessarily agree with. And then doing that over successive periods, three, five, six months, And over time, you can change the sentiment of that voter to not completely agree with you, but on something that might have seemed completely off base and provocative to them six months ago, 
You have now created enough online digital interaction with them and social interaction with them that you've actually subtly shifted their bias on information over time and you've changed their click-through content, which is the underlying algorithms from all the search engines as well. So you're pushing content that is more like the party that you want to achieve uh, uh, the outcome for. And you can actually change a voter base's uh, very perception of candidates through these methods. Uh, now, again, I, is that good or bad? That's not for me to decide. I think it's a fascinating use case of how data is is worked and used. Um, but it also it is very suggestive of markets that people are ignorant of what we're doing. And is that right or wrong? I think it's for, for the public to decide. Yeah, I think what you just detailed there, if I could uh, maybe put my my spin and summary on it, would be that that's the technical detail of what people would often refer to as fake news. And not that it's necessarily fake, but it's that psychological influence of how someone is actually perceiving something and what they're... What they're their general exposure of, of, of information is. And, and if you can tweak that, it's similar to, you know, how people would be uh, maybe changing the flavor profile of foods to make them more appealing. You, you're making uh, an idea appeal in some ways, right? That's exactly right. And that's, that's the thing that is, uh, you know, that's the thing that scares people. But at the same token, this is also where the exciting thing in this world of big data and data science is headed as well, because, while it can be manipulated in the example we just gave, you can buy the same example, take volumes of structured and unstructured and internal and external data and create more insight than you've ever been able to create before as well. And that can have some very profound impacts um, for, I think, technology and treatments and uh, you know, you know, many places, right, all, all around. Um, you know, You only need to look at general electrics and what they're doing on the predict side right they're now designing specifically to industrial and data analytics um the ford has created the open xc an open platform to unlock uh, vehicle data and innovation well that's going to be key as we move towards autonomous vehicles you're going to want that universal access to these platforms that people can contribute to to make car transportation safer to make it more economically viable to bring underdeveloped countries into this technological spectrum. And that's all going to happen through these use cases of uh, uh, unstructured and structured data coming together. So you hit on a future topic that I think is going to be super fascinating that uh, that how that data is actually utilized potentially in an AI situation where you know there's software that's doing interpretation of that data, and yeah. the use cases that you touch on there with uh, the Ford data pool uh, being open is sort of the more ex- expanded version of what Tesla currently does and does in their autopilot program, where the the, the telemetry data from all of those independent uh, cars are making the whole system smarter, and this is also um, a big use case. Well, in data security, the antivirus engines and uh, data security platforms are using the heuristics of the uh, the encounters that the individual endpoints have, and understanding what's going on on the internet in a broad field, so that if it detects it a second time in a machine in a different machine, it's able to actually shut down those processes. This this uh, advent of the 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 background telemetry and how. Uh, software could potentially leverage that information, I think is going to be incredibly powerful in a lot of ways that we actually don't understand yet. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. That's uh, it's an uncharted territory, and and it's uncharted because people are wondering how to monetize this. Right? If you're the average traditional company, you know that you have prolific growth in your data sets, but it again back to how how do I go about using this and actually making it applicable to me? Right? How do I grow profits and revenue? How do I better connect with customers? How am I creating some form of competitive advantage? And that starts with, again, those hypotheses, right? Then you want to drill into uh, deeper into the shape of the data using more advanced techniques. This might be you know, cluster or factor analysis, anomaly detection, regression models, decision trees, Monte Carlo simulations, link analysis. All of those types of things come to bear. And those aren't skill sets that you would normally find in just somebody that is a BI analyst and yeah, that kind of ties us back to what you were saying earlier. You know, a data scientist is going to have somebody that is uh, knows how to build analytical modeling, but they themselves then also need a statistician with them. So, how are companies going about finding those that are those you know PhD level mathematicians, and, and maybe not even PhD level, but they competent at the mathematical modeling, but have the gifts of programming as well. So, when you talk about building neural networks. You can combine the data scientist with the statistician, with the BI analyst, and bring the trifecta of those skill sets together. Um, you know that's where you need the CIO to understand the skill set, but you need the CMO or CEO really to understand: Hey, what is it that you want to try to test in the market? What is that money ball moment that you think you want to try to go prove? So, one of the things that I, I think this exposes is that. You know, what does the future of work look like? And I think you're right. There's going to be a lot more data science positions as uh, high paid roles because there's, again, going to be this absolute sea of data that people need to weed through and understand and correlate against things. Uh, and, and that could be, you know, a great future career opportunity for people that are that are just coming out of uh, 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 grade school education and looking towards university. And, you know, what do I do? Data science sounds fun. Uh, and you could be, you know, discovering some new things and working on some pretty amazing projects and, and uh, those data insights that you would potentially put together in a project could be a ton of fun. Absolutely. And I, and I would encourage anybody is don't chase technology for te- technology's sake or data for data's sake. Chase an outcome or a hypothesis that you're passionate about. You know, and, and one of the use cases I love so much is, you know, when the, uh, it's the one about Kaggle back in 2015, I think it was, right? And for those who aren't familiar with the Kaggle and what they built, you know, they are they invented devices that could provide early detection for diseases. Um, you know, and the big one that they came out with was uh, uh, they can create early indicators now for diabetics. Um, and that whole competition and what they brought to bear. Um, resulted is now having tool sets and a piece of uh, technology that was a result of data scientists designing and modeling automated detection systems for diseases. So if you've got a passion for healthcare, you can apply data science very easily to that and, and challenge yourself with, how can I take that to solve that problem? Early detection, predictive in, uh, detection is there. Genome therapies and all of these things are are becoming more monetizable, but also they are becoming more uh, prolific in just general care and well-being of people. 
And I think chase that passion and, and you'll do well because the data is coming. The data and the access to the data is not the issue anymore. It's having people to understand how to put that together with um, statistical skills, programming skills, and then modeling and analytic skills. Yeah, because a lot of what we're seeing here is that the use of data and analytics is not necessarily new, as you, you pointed out. You know, the, the, this date uh, dates back to uh, handwritten spreadsheets, probably in the early 1900s, and that was the complexity of data analytics. Uh, and then the the pure data analytics that we're talking about in sort of this deep source stuff was usually limited more to enterprise environments because the you know the sheer volume, the complexity of the of the software to run this stuff, and then the the storage space in order to keep this around for any relevant period of time was probably limited a lot more to the enterprise but certainly more and more with you know SaaS based solutions in particular that your ability to have data analytics around every part of your business regardless of what you do you're a two man shop you probably have marketing analytics if you're not using Google Analytics it'd be shocking and if you're not collecting some uh, customer information again like the, these are missed opportunities so the we're we're what I see is we're kind of borrowing again from what's been done in the enterprise and applying it more to a small business market, which obviously creates a much much wider opportunity for everyone in the market to capitalize on. Absolutely, and on top of that, there is just so many. As a small business owner, even a medium business, sits there and goes, "Well, we don't have really enough insight or data. We're not we're not going to go invest in." You know, multi-million dollar tools. I don't even think you should anymore. To your point, there's a great open source ecosystem and there's many platforms with this already integrated, whether it be Microsoft's or Google's. Um, you know, it's, it's all available. But there's a plethora of third-party open source data communities to, to go get everything that you need, right? Whether it be DataKind, whether it be you know, uh, some of the teacher's resources at archives.gov slash education, whether you go to the uh, Bureau of Statistics, um, which is BLS.gov, or you go to even the census bureaus in both Canada and the United States, right? Census.gov and look at their income visualizations. Like there's, there's so many ways you can find more out about your customer, about who is in the market, about who the competitors are, about the services you want to bring to market, the problems you want to solve. You can understand what's trending in healthcare and, and where to go that. And all of that data is publicly available. It's never been that accessible before. You had to do, it was very binary before, it was catalog based or very Excel uh, spreadsheet driven. Um, and, and, it, and the average firm or company couldn't go get it. But now if you have a vision for a problem, you can go source third-party data and stress it against your own models and uh, come up with uh, better hypotheses. So, so you don't, you're not locked anymore to just yourself. You, you can go well beyond that. Well, Alistair, it's a fascinating field. I think uh, we'll potentially have you back to talk a little more as the, the field develops, maybe check in in six months to a year. Uh, anything, uh, any words of wisdom or uh, asks from the community that you would like to put out there? No, I would, I, uh, no ask. I would just challenge people to keep uh, throwing use cases out there. If you have problems that you want solved, let us know. I think you know there's such a community building that people just want to try to solve better global problems using data. Don't shy away from challenging 
firms like the ones that I work with to uh, solve these problems. We are prepared to create those point of views. We're prepared to stress these models. And let's continue to contribute to the open source data networks that are out there. Because as we all collectively contribute, we are, we are solving phenomenal problems in disease, in transportation, in logistics. And we should all be very empowered to be part of that in our daily being and daily habits. I appreciate your time, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, look forward to seeing more of the, the work that you, you're developing with both groups that, that you're, you're doing work with. Uh, if people want to connect with you on LinkedIn or Twitter or on social, where should they look for you? Just look for me on LinkedIn at Alastair Wilcock uh, at LinkedIn. Uh, it's uh, all one word. Or you can always hit me up on Twitter at uh, Alastair KW and happy to connect with everybody there as well. Excellent. Thanks for your time, Alistair, and all the best. Thanks, Todd.